Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report Podcast, and today is January the 8th, 2024. I'm back after our writing team took an extended break due to health issues. It's been 3,633 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 318 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. During today's podcast, you can use a Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed, and there is a link in the podcast description. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine morning reports, operational commands north, south and east of Ukraine, open-source intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mail bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. And there is a lot to catch up on if you don't read our situation reports. 1. Our assessment that there was an elevated risk of Russian missile and drone strikes between January the 8th and January the 10th was regrettably accurate. 2. We believe it is unlikely that the United States will provide additional military or financial aid to Ukraine in 2024 due to internal politics. 3. The continued impasse in the United States Congress to provide additional military aid to Ukraine and the passive response to Russian kinetic and hybrid aggression is contributing to Russia's expanding access with North Korea and Iran and global hybrid warfare. 4. We maintain the armed forces of Ukraine are facing critical ammunition shortages that are directly impacting the ability to maintain existing defensive lines. 5. We maintain that Ukrainian forces no longer have the combat potential to engage in offensive operations, and Russian troops are capable of additional tactical success and achieving limited operational goals. 6. The reduction in Ukrainian combat potential is a direct result of blocked aid from the United States and the European Union. 7. Russian forces have established an operational objective to capture Chasiv Yar, west of Bakhmut. 8. Russian commanders have put mission objectives over all other considerations and are committed to capturing the Avdiivka salient, regardless of the cost. 9. We maintain that combat that closely resembles World War I trench warfare versus 21st-century combined arms maneuver warfare will continue through meteorological winter, which ends on February 29, 2024. 10. While the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously. We are very troubled by the latest reports from the International Atomic Energy Agency and the lack of international attention. Today, let's start in Kharkiv and Luhansk. 
we've updated the objectives for both combatants. For Russia, their objectives are to recapture all territory from Kupiansk to Piskeratkivsky by March the 13th, push Ukrainian forces from the right bank of the Oskil River, recapture all of the Luhansk Oblast, maximize casualties, and terrorize Ukrainian civilians near the line of conflict. For Ukraine, the objectives are to hold and harden defensive lines in the Kupiansk, Svatove, Kremina, and Lysychansk operational areas, or AOs, and protect civilians and civilian infrastructure. Starting in the Kupiansk AO in Kharkiv, positional fighting continued in the area of Sinkivka. Ukrainian source Deep State reported that positional fighting was ongoing near Vilshana, echoing earlier Russian reports of a potential marginal advance by Ukrainian troops. Ukrainian forces shared a video showing four Russian prisoners in the Kupinsk area, further indicating a marginal advance occurred somewhere in the AO. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported mutual positional fighting east of Ivanivka, with no change in the situation. Northwest of Kremina in Luhansk, positional fighting restarted east of Makiivka, with no change in the situation. More intense fighting restarted east of Terny, near the Luhansk-Donetsk administrative border. Southwest of Kremina, the Russian Ministry of Defense, or Armod, reported fighting west of Dubrova and released a video that supported the claim. A prominent Russian mail blogger reported there was also fighting south of the village. Moving on to the Donbass, there are updates to the mission objectives. Russia's objectives include capturing Chasivyar and Kostantinivka by March the 13th, setting conditions to attack Kramatorsk, Slovyansk and Siversk, and terrorizing Ukrainian civilians. Ukraine's mission objectives are to defend Siversk, Chasivyar and Kostantinivka, stabilize more advantageous defensive lines on the north flank of Bakhmut for winter, harden existing defensive lines and minimize civilian casualties. Starting in the Bakhmut AO, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported fighting continued in the northern part of Bogdanivka and the southwestern edge of Hromove. Russian forces made very small gains in Hromove, while Ukrainian forces stabilized their defensive lines in Bogdanivka. Southwest of Bakhmut, Russian forces attempted to advance in Ivanivske and were unsuccessful. In the Klishivka AO, positional fighting continued north and northwest of Klishivka and east of Andreevka. Ukrainian forces have also stabilized their defensive lines, although the situation remains difficult. Further south, Ukrainian forces have mostly stabilized the defensive lines in the Avdivka AO. The number, size and intensity of Russian attacks have dropped significantly. Since October 6, 2023, it has been visually confirmed that Russia has lost 441 pieces of heavy equipment during their offensive on Avdiivka, while Ukraine has lost 33. Over the last seven days, the ratio of losses was 10 to 1 in favor of Ukraine. While Russian forces continued their attempts to advance in the direction of Novobakhmutivka, the intensity of the attacks was insufficient to change the situation. Russian forces have reduced the number of attacks in the direction of Berdichi and Stepove, likely due to the catastrophic losses suffered over the last three months along the part of the line of conflict. 
Positional fighting was ongoing northeast of the Avdivka Koch plant compound, south of the Tarakon, and in the area of the sewage treatment plant. On the eastern edge of Avdivka, Russian forces attempted to advance from Kruta Balka without success. Positional fighting and harassment attacks continued in the industrial zone of southeastern Avdivka. On the southern flank of Avdivka, the heaviest fighting was in the eastern part of Pervomaiske, with Russian commanders trying to divert Ukrainian troops to the ongoing subordinate attack. Positional fighting and harassment attacks continued east of the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske. In the Marinka AO, Russian forces continued their attacks east of Georgievka and made marginal gains west of the fishing pond dam. The war map was adjusted. Russian troops also continued their attempts to advance toward Pobeda without success. In the Vogledareo, the Ukrainian 79th Air Assault Brigade retook defensive positions south of Novomikhailivka. The Russian retreat comes several days after the use of vehicle-borne IEDs or VBIEDs. We have previously assessed that VBIEDs are only used when a combatant has a battlefield disadvantage and is forced to use asymmetrical warfare tactics to compensate. On January 6, Russia launched three S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack at Pokrovsk and the village of Rivne to the northeast. The attack killed 11 civilians, including five children. Eight more people were wounded and six remain missing. In Zaporizhia, the intensity of fighting has dropped considerably. The only significant fighting reported was west of Verbove, with no change in the situation. In Kherson, fighting continued in the forest south of Krynke and on the edge of the settlement, and Russian forces continued to suffer catastrophic losses. Russia has made no progress on disrupting the Ukrainian bridgeheads on the left bank of the Dnipro and Konka rivers. The residential areas of the city of Kherson were shelled for over four hours, knocking out power and killing two civilians. Next up, occupied Crimea. The Russian Black Sea Fleet's large landing ship Pyotr Morgunov, one of two Project 11711 vessels, was transferred to the port of Sevastopol. Satellite images confirmed that on January 4, Ukrainian missiles successfully struck the Russian military headquarters at Yukharina Balka in Sevastopol. In western and central Ukraine, Iranian-sourced Shahid-136 one-way drones struck a college dormitory building, apartment towers and a city administrative building in Dnipro. There were no reports of casualties. On January 8, a Russian missile struck a shopping mall in the center of Krivirih. At the time of recording, we did not have information on casualties. I have an odd story from northern Ukraine. A Russian pontoon bridge floated down the Desna River into Ukraine and washed ashore in the Chernihiv district. It was inspected for bombs and electronic warfare equipment, and none was found. Someone has some explaining to do. It's been active on the Russian front. 
In the Belgorod region, drone operators with the Defense Intelligence Directorate of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, or UHUR, destroyed two Russian Panzer S-1 air defense systems. Yes, there's video proof, and we linked to it in our daily situation report. More information is available in the podcast description. Russian sources report there was a training accident in the Rostov region. During a practice parachute jump for airborne assault forces, also known as the VDV, Russian air defenses mistook the exercise for a Ukrainian assault. Air defenses were activated and anti-aircraft gunners killed two paratroopers as they descended. On January 4, the HUR released a video of a Russian Su-34 being set on fire at a Russian airfield in Chelyabinsk. On January 5, the Russian Ministry of Defense denied the claim. Also on January 5, the Federal Security Service of Russia, or the FSB, arrested a 16-year-old for setting a Su-34 on fire, with the investigation announced on January 7. Take all the time you need. A January 4th incident at the Klimovsk specialized ammunition plant in the Moscow suburb of Podolsk knocked out heat and hot water service to thousands of people. During ongoing record cold, heat has yet to be restored. A criminal investigation has been started. Russian state media agency TASS is reporting that a 43-year-old Moscow resident got into an argument at a hookah bar and threw a grenade at the occupants, wounding four, three seriously. The man left the scene after throwing the grenade and has reportedly been arrested. Now on to theater-wide events. On the night of January 6 and 7, Russia launched 28 Iranian-sourced Shahid-136 one-way drones, with 21 intercepted by air defenses. On January 7 and 8, another eight were launched at Odessa and Mykolaiv, with all intercepted. At the time of recording, Ukraine was under a major missile attack involving 295MS and 222M3 strategic bombers and Su-31K multi-role fighter planes. Launches of KH-10155, 555, KH-2232, KH-47 Kinjal air-to-surface ballistic missiles and Iskander-M, or North Korean-sourced KN-23 short-range ballistic missiles and S-300 anti-aircraft missiles were reported. Heads were reported in Zaporizhia, Krivy Rih, and Kharkiv. Debris from drones caused damage in Odessa. We'll have more information in tomorrow's podcast. Ukrainian officials reported a Ukrainian MiG-29 was shot down, killing the 23-year-old pilot who went by the callsign Blue Helmet. In a separate incident, the mother of Ukrainian poet Maxim Krivtsov reported he was killed in action. Krivtsov wrote the critically acclaimed Poems from the Loophole. Ukraine demonstrated the D-2111 robot for military use. The D-2111 is equipped with a machine gun and can perform a variety of combat tasks. With the combat module removed, it can be used to deliver supplies to frontline troops in places where overland travel would be too dangerous for people. The United States publication Wall Street Journal reported that the artillery advantage Ukraine had over the summer has collapsed and Russia is now outshooting Ukraine by 5 to 1. Moving on to assessment. 
While that figure may sound awful, some perspective is needed. Ukraine is firing around 2,000 artillery rounds theater-wide, while Russia is firing 10,000. In June 2022, Russia was firing up to 40,000 artillery shells a day and surging to 60,000, compared to 3,000 by Ukraine. While Russia holds a massive artillery advantage, its ability to conduct artillery strikes has degraded by 75%. I'm not saying being at 5 to 1 disadvantage is a good thing, but it is much better than 13 to 1. Former CIA director David Petraeus warned that if Russia is not defeated in Ukraine, Moscow will attack the Baltics and Moldova next. He joins a growing list of military experts and world leaders issuing the same warning. The Minister of Foreign Affairs of Japan, Yoko Kimikawa, is in Kyiv on a state visit. She announced that Japan would provide Ukraine with $37 million in drone detection systems, five mobile gas turbines for emergency electrical generation, and seven transformers. During my last podcast, I warned that the United States was facing a government shutdown on November the 17th. The United States is now facing a partial government shutdown on January the 19th if the budget impasse is not solved. Speaker of the House Mike Johnson, a Republican from Louisiana, said that he was waiting for an explanation of Washington's goals in Ukraine before he would consider any further aid. In the land of Mobix, Mobilization and Mir, there was a very bizarre incident caught on camera. During Orthodox New Year's celebrations, a member of the Federal Protective Service of Russia presented a tray with two drinks on it to Vasily Gundyaev, better known as Patriarch Kirill. When Gundyaev went to take one, the FSO agent redirected him to a different glass. The tray was then presented to Patriarch Bartholomew, who refused to take the drink. We linked to the video in our situation report, and this is one to watch. The hat passed by Patriarch Bartholomew and the look on the face of the FSO agent is interesting. And that's an understatement. And that's today's update. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.